Hi, and welcome to NANCAST. I'm Jill, your host. As a NICU nurse, we aren't just at the bedside providing care, but we take on different roles. We are assessors, planners, evaluators of care, researchers, educators, managers, and leaders. What ties all the roles together is that they are all patient and family-centered. One very important role we tend to lose sight of is that we all are nurse advocates. We spend more time with our patients and their families than any other group in healthcare. Our patients need someone to look out for their best interests and help them navigate their time not only in the NICU, but beyond those walls. How can we as NICU nurses be heard on a higher level? One way a nurse can become a better advocate is to continually gain more knowledge of current health and patient care issues. It is important to consider becoming active in NAN and participating in the local and national discussion regarding the future of neonatology. NAN has many opportunities to volunteer in the Health Policy and Advocacy Committee to help influence policymakers. We have a unique perspective and insight from the front line that many policymakers need. As nurses, we must be engaged in a discussion of healthcare's future and using our voice to guide the decisions that will shape the future. Advocacy is a vital part of the nursing role. It can improve outcomes and initiate change. Through advocacy, we can be instrumental in transforming neonatal nursing and improving the lives of the babies and families we care for every day. On today's episode, we are going to hear about the power of advocacy. It is my pleasure to welcome Jennifer Canvasser, the founder of the Next Society, a collaborative organization dedicated to building a world without necrotizing enterocolitis. Let's get right into it. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you for taking the time to share with us all about the Next Society. Hi, Jill. Thanks so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So um, for people that don't know, what exactly is the Next, the Next Society? Yeah, thanks for asking. So the Next Society is a nonprofit 501c3 organization that's dedicated to building a world without this devastating disease. So we are a patient-led organization. So um, myself, for example, I lost my son to necrotizing enterocolitis. Um, and other families who have also been impacted by NEC lead the organization. And we work hand-in-hand um, -hand with some of the leading clinicians and researchers um, in the field of necrotizing enterocolitis. Can you tell me a little bit more about what the Next Society does? What's your mission? What people do yeah. you serve? Yeah, absolutely. So in our kind of mission or overall goal of building a world without NAC, um, we strive to empower both families as well as providers and clinicians with more information about the disease so they can be more informed. Um, we also work to drive research, um, so working on prevention strategies and better um, intervention strategies so that we can improve outcomes for, for these vulnerable infants. Um, so most of our work is, is really focused on driving research and um, empowering families with more information and also advocating um, for increased prioritization of resources and funding for this disease that really um, has had pretty stagnant morbidity and mortality rates for decades. We really haven't seen any major progress um, in, in the disease for a long time. So that's what we're working on is to really move the needle and to create a sense of urgency so that 
Um, people, not just those that have been directly affected by the disease, but really others in the in our broader community so they can see and learn about what this disease is and why they should care about it. I think that's so true. I, you know, every nurse and every NICU across the world, you know, has to deal with neck and the side effects of neck and how devastating it can be to the patients and the families. So I think it's an important for the nurses to have this great resource and, and, and the families as well. Um, what do you think you would want nurses to know about the Next Society and how, that, that, how it can help them um, in their care with their patients? Yeah, that's a great question. So we have a lot of resources that we've developed that I think nurses would probably appreciate. Um, it's also like we, the organization can serve as a resource to nurses where they can direct their patients. But for nurses specifically, they can check out a lot of the resources that we have on our website about um, strategies to prevent the disease, ways that we can um, kind of help to drive research and ways to get involved and um, why their voice matters, like why we care so, so deeply about nurses and why we see ourselves, um, the Next Society sees nurses as our, our one of our primary partners in, in our vision of building a world without neck. We really rely on our nurses to, to do this work. We couldn't do it without them. And um, you can imagine a lot of the families that are involved in the organization, we've spent many, many months in the NICU. And so some of our closest allies have been our NICU nurses who have really walked this journey with us and helped us to um, build up our organization and build up this movement of building a world without necrotized enterocolitis. How can nurses get involved in a next society if, you know, they've seen this, they've taken on the journey with all these families and they want to do more outside of just their little NICU? What can we do to be more involved in the next society? Yeah, so, you know, we had planned a, a series of very exciting events for this spring, but given the COVID-19 crisis, we've had to really um, reschedule and cancel a lot of the things that we had planned. So just as an example, we had planned to partner with a lot of our nurses and other researchers and providers and families to host the first ever Neck Awareness Day in Washington, D.C. It was going to be very exciting. We had it planned and a lot of NAN members were um, going to be joining us. And of course, this is now canceled because of this crisis. Um, thankfully, what's not canceled is World Neck Awareness Day on May 17th. Um, so a couple, and just to give you a little bit of history. So a couple years ago, we worked with our international partners um, around the globe, and we established May 17th of each year as World Neck Awareness Day. And so this is a, an opportunity for us to really um, show the world what necrotized enterocolitis is all about, the effects of this devastating disease, how it impacts not just families and parents who really have to live with the day-to-day -day consequences of this disease, but also the nurses um, and the other clinicians and, and healthcare providers who are also um, often profoundly affected by how this disease affects their patients and how you know they're touched very deeply oftentimes from um, this really devastating disease. So on, um, between now and World Neck Awareness Day, um, we're going to be um, recognizing the disease and our community virtually. Um, so because we can't be together, unfortunately, we're going to be going on social media. So the Next Society is on um, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and YouTube as well. So we'll be using social media to connect with nurses and families and others who care about um, the disease and, and the people that uh, this disease affects and raising awareness. Um, so that's one thing that nurses can do is joining us in recognizing World Neck Awareness Day on 
on May 17th. Um, checking out our website, joining our listserv. We have a lot of different resources um, on our blog and on our website um, that we would just love to connect with more of the nurses around the country. World Neck Awareness Day is so important, and it really needs to be shared with NICUs throughout the country. Um, How would you suggest nurses bringing um, that to attention to the families and the other nurses and clinicians in their units? Yeah, that's a great question, and I I so appreciate this opportunity because I couldn't agree with you more. Like, We definitely feel like we need more awareness about the disease in in units and beyond, right, both in units and outside of units, and it, it begins, I think, with what we can do with World Neck Awareness Day. It's a real opportunity. So one is um, sharing graphics. So we have free graphics available on our website that can be printed. So for example, we have an online shop at nextsociety.org with free graphics that people can just print and put up in their unit to help others um, show that it's World Neck Awareness Day on May 17th. And then we also in the online shop have items for purchase. So we have t-shirts and tote bags and coffee mugs and a lot of different other items that say things like a world without necrotizing colitis. And so that's just an example is between now and um, early May, Nurses and units could take photos of themselves um, with their necrotized intracolitis um, kind of society gear on, say, in a world without neck. And also, like, you know, obviously we have an online shop, but I don't want to feel like I'm promoting people to go (laughs) and encouraging people to go spend money at our shop. Like, you could also, you know, create signs and be creative that, you know, hold up whatever you want to wear or make that says a world without necrotized intracolitis. Um, Get with your colleagues and and, in your units and take a photo and share them with us. And then we'll share them on our social media pages and really create um, kind of like a, a social media movement on why this is important important and we'll be tagging legislators and policymakers who make decisions about funding and who gets the research dollars and hopefully you know we can build momentum so that we can um, better drive research and awareness so that we can really improve outcomes for these babies. Well, there's a challenge for everybody. Try to get creative and promote World (laughs) Neck Awareness Day on your units because I know I will definitely be bringing it to my unit. Um, Awesome. Yeah, and it's good. We all all are affected by neck. So, you know, why not, you know, bring awareness to the other families and people there? So that's a great opportunity for all of us to kind of join together, especially in these times, too. So, yeah, great. Great. Do you guys have um, any kind of other meetings or or symposiums or anything where you gather together to talk about NEC? Yeah, so just to give a little bit of history. So in 2017, the NEC Society hosted the first ever meeting in North America focused on necrotized colitis. That was at UC Davis in 2017. Um, And if you check out our website, you'll see um, like an executive summary of the 2017 meeting as well as the 2019 meeting, which just took place last year at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. Um, So those two meetings have um, both taken place. You can check out the resources and the work that's um, been done uh, as a result of those meetings. And then our next meeting um, right now, we are hoping to host it at Cincinnati Children's Hospital, April 14th through 16th of 2021. I know that you know is a full year away, um, but right now, even the planning for that is is paused because we just don't know what the future holds at this moment. So we we hope that that's going to be um, able to move forward and take place as we had originally um, envisioned and planned. But if for some reason we still are in some type of crisis mode and dealing with the effects of the pandemic, then we're going to 
explore ways that we could potentially host the meeting virtually. And, and that would, you know, at least allow us to have increased remote uh, participation and allow um, accessibility for, for a more probably diverse audience and, and global audience who may not have been able to travel anyway. So um, regardless, I will say that yes, <laughs> it's a long way of saying yes, we are planning to host um, our next next symposium in April of 2021, hopefully in Cincinnati um, with our partners at Cincinnati Children's, um, but there is a possibility that that might have to go virtual. Earlier, I discussed how nurses sometimes forget their role of being a, an advocate outside of the NICU doors. Um, how can we use our voices and advocacy for lifting um, neck awareness um, and kind of being involved in that outside of the NICU and more on an advocacy level? Yeah, I think that's so important because if our collective goal is to elevate the conversation around necrotizing colitis so that it's not just talked about within the NICU, like obviously we need to be talking about neck in the NICU, clearly, but we also need to talk about neck outside of the NICU and, and, and really expand our group of stakeholders and people who care about this disease so that we can secure and garner additional funding and resources and attention and awareness so that we can really, um, really do what we can to, to build a world without this disease. So I think if we can work with nurses to become um, advocates and for them to share their stories and for them to contact their legislators and, and tell them like why research and why um, funding for this vulnerable population is so important, what it means to them um, as nurses, I, I think that could be extremely compelling and have really profound, remarkable consequences. So I think, yeah, absolutely, we should encourage our nurses to be advocates within their units, but also to kind of push the comfort zone so that they see themselves as advocates outside of their units also and, and, and do what they can to contact their legislators. They can call, email, visit. Um, I, you know, I mentioned that we had planned a neck awareness, excuse me, a neck advocacy day in Washington, D.C. And so hopefully we'll do that again when we can and we can bring more of our nurses to the Capitol so that we can use those voices to really elevate the conversation. I also wanted to mention that a lot of our families have told us that they um, did not know anything about necrotizing colitis until their baby um, was actually being diagnosed. I know that was true for myself, and I would say most of the families that come to the Next Society share that same story, that they had no idea what neck was until their baby was actually being diagnosed with the disease um, and how they wish they would have known more so that they could be um, better informed to contribute as part of the care team and help to make really critical decisions. And so I think nurses could help with that also as helping families learn about neck earlier and um, not just in the NICU, but again, so that families outside of the NICU know what neck is and they've heard about it. And so if they themselves or one of their loved ones ends up in the NICU and they've become familiar with neck, at least they have that background knowledge and have um, had a little bit of um, a little more insight about what the disease is and some of the most critical prevention or risk factors. So you're saying you, you think that it would be beneficial for families, for us as nurses to start the conversation, maybe when we start feeding babies to say that this could be a possibility that the families actually want to know that ahead of time instead yeah. of us telling them, oh, like, right. you know, yes. 
So that's, yeah, so that's one of the, and we've done a little bit of research on this also. So we have some evidence to not just document what families are, are telling us kind of in an informal way that they do want to have more information as early as possible. But we we have, again, so we've did a, a survey that where families told us they really want as much information as early as possible presented in a way that they can um that they can begin to digest. And so what we've suggested, for example, is when we're encouraging mothers to provide their babies with breast milk, um, that you talk about neck and you don't have to go into all the, the horrific details that could potentially happen, but you can say, you know what, one of the best reasons to provide your baby with your milk is because there's this really devastating disease called necrotized colitis. And by providing your baby with your milk, you're actually helping to protect them against this really devastating disease. So it's just like a way to introduce the topic um, and help them understand like why what they're doing is so important and potentially even life-saving for their baby. So yeah, um, I think it's really important for, um, for providers to know that families want this information as early as possible so that they can serve as an informed member of their baby's care team. That's a very different way of of thinking because I think we try to protect all of our parents from totally. what could go wrong. and Absolutely. But it is true. I mean, it's good to give them the information ahead of time instead of information overload when it, when right. it happens. What, and I think like what another point I would like to share is that um, providers have told us, well, we don't want to overwhelm the families with too much information. And we, we get that. Um, and, you know, obviously providers have a lot of um, information that they have to decide when and how to present to families. But I, families have told us that, yes, we are overwhelmed. It's a totally new um, and anticipated situation that we found ourselves in. But more information is not necessarily um, more overwhelming. It's actually empowering. It's when we don't have any information and we don't understand anything. That's what's more scary because then we don't know what questions to ask. We don't understand what's happening to Raby. We don't know why things are, you know, being done one way and not the other. But when pr- information is actually provided to us in a way that we can understand and that we can um, feel empowered to contribute and, and participate, it actually helps to alleviate some of that um, anxiety and some of those feelings of being completely overwhelmed with anxiety and even guilt and shame and so forth and really allowing parents to become part of that care team. So does the Next Society also provide information for parents? Can parents go and visit the website and get yep. and be able to talk to other people or, um, you know, contact other people if they need yeah. to get through That's- something? Yeah, so we we do, um, the Next Society um, has an online support group for families. So the Next Society itself um, doesn't offer like one-on-one peer support for families that have experienced NEC, but we do help families get in touch with each other so that they can walk the journey together and share resources and stories and so forth. Um, so we have that. And then apart from that, we also have resources that are specifically for families. And an example is... Um, 10 things um, parents need to know. And so it's like just a list of 10 things that we, like for my example, myself, wished I would have known on day one when my babies were in the NICU. That's perfect. That's a great resource for, for nurses to know that they have that to help mm-hmm. the parents and educate the parents. Because sometimes it's just so comforting to be able to get connected with somebody that's a parent totally. and talk about it. So yeah. that's a great resource. So tell us some of the projects that the Next Society is working on now and what your findings have been on these projects. Great. So 
the Next Society is really excited that we were recently funded by the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute, also known as PICORI, um, on a capacity building award. So it was basically um, supporting us in building up our ability to drive research. So that's one of the projects we're working on right now is to really expand our ability to drive research that matters to patients and families um, in the NEC community. Um, it's kind of similar, we were also funded by the Chan Zuckerberg Rare as One Network. Network. So we're really excited to be part of a team of um, 29 organizations um, that are all focused on rare diseases um, that are working to drive research and serve the rare disease community um, and um, really build a patient-led research network. So I, I mentioned earlier that the Next Society is really focused on driving research, but it's not just research that matters to our clinicians and to our scientists in a lab, but it's really, it's the research that matters to our patients and families. And what research questions do our, our parents of NICU babies feel like we should be asking and, and diving deeper into? Um, and kind of as a result of us being really patient-led and wanting to know what type of research our families think we should be focusing on, um, we have two patient led research projects. One was recently published and one we're working on. So the one that was recently published um, was around the label human milk fortifier. And we didn't go into um, which human milk fortifier is better or safer or anything like that. We really just focused on the label itself and how that label, human milk fortifier, is interpreted by both patients, or um, parents, I should say, by parents as well as providers. So we had um, about um, 800 parents and providers um, of, in the NICU um, respond to our a survey that we did. And what we found was that only about 22% of our providers are telling parents um, the source of human milk fortifier, so whether it's bovine-based or whether it's um, donor or human milk-based, and only about 21% of our NICU parents know the source of their child's um, human milk fortifier. So again, whether it's bovine-based or um, donor or human milk-based. Um, and this matters because we feel like a lot of, um, it's not that even that we feel, but parents reported um, and providers also reported finding that the label human milk fortifier is very ambiguous, it's confusing, it's misleading, and that a lot of our both parents and providers didn't know um, that human milk fortifier could actually be bovine-based. They took the term human milk fortifier to mean a human milk based product. So um, that was one of the um, research projects that was just recently published um, and <clears throat> was, again, led and um, evolved out of our interest from parents. Another research project that we're working on right now is on long-term outcomes of next survivors. So really beginning to document what um, not just, you know, two-year-olds have as a result of neck, but the consequences when these um, babies survive neck and are now um, eight years old, 12 years old, you know, 16 years old. And we have young adults even that are in their late 20s, early 30s who are um, participating and helping us lead this research project on um, documenting what the long-term outcomes of necrotized enterocolitis are for these babies that then go on to survive, you know, obviously for, and live with these consequences, um, for the rest of their life. Many of these consequences are, um, severe, um, and really affect their ability to live, um, kind of high, higher quality lives. 
That's really interesting with the um, human milk fortifier labels. I think we mm-hmm. kind of take for granted when we tell the parents. We don't realize that there's so much unknown to them. And, you know, the right. way we present it is, is very important. And, you know, totally. I, I hope that we can all be able to read that and, and learn something from that on, on how we have that discussion with, with parents. Um, and also, even even to find out the long-term effects of neck with your other study, I, I think a lot of times we... We send them away, they go home, they get discharged, yeah. and we don't really know. What, what kind right. of lives do these, these kids lead um, after surviving neck? So yep. that'd be a great insight to see that as well. Yeah. So we can't get away without talking about the COVID pandemic and what's going on in the world today. Um, how does the Next Society feel as though this pandemic is going to affect neck when you have mothers being separated from their newborns? Um, there's issues regarding breastfeeding. Do you see this as an issue for for these babies in the NICU regarding neck <coughs> and outcomes? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a threat, um, and it has the potential to absolutely affect um, our neck rates and and which babies potentially are at increased risk. Um, because I, I'm sure you've seen there's um, a recent article in the Lancet, and the New York Times, and the American Academy of Pediatrics also has a statement around um, temporarily separating mothers who um, potentially have COVID-19 from their babies. Um, so again, when we're, we're talking about separating moms and babies, that has a, a, the potential to affect um, their, uh, the infant's ability to get their mother's own milk. We know that mother's own milk is the, one of the most effective ways to prevent necrotizing colitis. So I think there's a real threat. And beyond just the potential threat of increasing neck rates, we also have families that are in the NICU right now that are experiencing that separation. And so we, we know we've, we've heard stories of, of some babies being put in isolation and um, the parents not being able to even um, be with, with their baby. Um, so I think it, it's a really um, a scary time for NICU families, even more so than it usually is. Um, so I, I am concerned. I think there there's um, a lot of um, a lot of concerns right now, just in terms of what this means, what this crisis means for our neck rates, and what it means for our, our families who are working to bond with their babies and develop those nurturing relationships. And it's being affected by the COVID nineteen crisis. Definitely, I, I also worry about you know the developmental um, yes. aspect of these babies. Their nurses and caregivers are coming in with masks on; they can't see our facial expressions, and it's. You know, that, that always is something that I'm thinking about when I'm caring for these babies, too, every day. Absolutely. And, and again, beyond the mother's own milk, like you, you mentioned, like skin to skin care and being able to read to your baby and sing to your baby and um, just, you know, have those nurturing interactions. Nurturing interactions, it's, it's going to be limited. And, um, and so it's really trouble, troubling, to say the least. And it's, you know, we, we're trying to be creative, but it's, you know, there's only so much we can do, unfortunately. So Totally. Yeah. Right. So obviously during this pandemic, we are going to have some times where the babies are separated from their mom. Um, what happens now if these moms want to provide breast milk, but they can't because of this separation? What are some things that you think we should recommend to these moms? Yeah. So obviously pasteurized donor milk is the next best thing 
when mother's own milk is not available for our NICU babies. Um, and thankfully, our nonprofit milk banks here in North America, so the Human Milk Banking Association of North America, also known as Himbana, um, is working really hard to increase the supply of donor milk during this crisis. Um, so um, Himban is working with their milk banks across the country to um, encourage moms who have healthy full-term babies to donate whatever milk that they have left over and in their freezers so that we can get more milk out to our NICUs for these babies who potentially are being separated from their mothers, um, who potentially don't have access to mother's own milk. Um, so our milk banks, I think, are something that we can rely on right now. And and for nurses, um, I think one role that they could serve is helping um, to inform parents about donor milk. I remember when I was first in the NICU, I didn't even know donor milk was a thing. Like I had never heard of donor pasteurized donor milk. And um, I didn't even know it existed. And I certainly didn't know that I would be able to donate my milk. Um, so it was a really um, great learning experience for me. And I know this is the same for many other mothers. And as a bereaved mother myself, I can't talk about donor milk without also talking about um, donor milk and, and being able to donate milk after you've lost a baby. So I know um, regarding the COVID-19 crisis, we're really talking about how to increase um, milk donations to our nonprofit milk banks, how to get that donor milk out to our NICUs. But I think on the flip side, for these um, parents who have lost their babies to necrotized colitis or really any other um, any other cause. Um, it's a very devastating experience and being able to donate milk during a really such a horrific um, life experience is um, can provide a really profound sense of peace and comfort. Um, and so I remember when I lost my son Micah to ne complications of necrotized enterocolitis, um, I remember just feeling so grateful that I was able to give back in such a meaningful way. So I think that's another role that nurses can play is helping families learn about donor milk, that, that it's a, you know something that it's a resource that could be available to their baby if they need it, that they could donate to other families and to other babies who might need it, um, and that if they find themselves in this devastating situation, that um, they don't need to just let their milk dry up, that they could actually, if they wanted to and they're interested, they could then give their baby's milk to um, to other families through this bereaved donor milk program. And a lot of our Himbana milk banks work really hard to support their bereaved donor milk moms so that they are um, becoming part of a community of other bereaved mothers that's really fulfilling for them. Does the Next Society have any information on the bereaved breast milk, uh, donor breast milk, that we could give parents um, that they could take home so they can learn about how to do it and, and get the information on that? Yeah, so we have some information, and our what the Next Society provides really comes from the donor milk banks that are actually um, facilitating these bereaved donor milk programs. So um, we kind of direct them back to the nonprofit milk banks that have set up these donor milk programs. So using um, my personal experience as an example, after I lost my son, Micah, um, and then was able to donate my milk to uh, my nonprofit milk bank, um, I was able to go into the milk bank and they provided me with this really beautiful leaf that went up um, on their bereaved donor milk program tree. And it's this tree full of leaves of other babies um, and families just like mine and, and like Micah who have donated their milk to help other families and to prevent neck from taking the lives of others. Um, and so it was, it was just such a meaningful um, and, and 
brought me so much peace to be able to see how I was able to contribute back and to be part of something that was just bigger and beyond just me and myself and my devastating loss. So, um, so to answer your question, yes, um, we have information and that information is really provided by um, the nonprofit milk banks who facilitate these bereaved donor milk programs. That's an amazing, um, you know, tribute to all of the moms that are able to provide such um, great, um, you know, great options to parents that are, you know, without the breast milk. Thanks, Jennifer, for joining us today. The Neck Society is doing phenomenal work to build a world without neck. Thank you so much. We're really so pleased and delighted to have Nan as one of our partners And um, I'm sure you know how much we adore and appreciate our NICU nurses. So thank you so much for having me and for the opportunity to share more about NEC and the NEC Society. So thank you. No, you're welcome. It was a pleasure talking to you. And I'm so excited to bring awareness on World NEC Awareness Day on May 17th. Awesome. Thank you. 2020 is the year of the nurse. And why not take this as a time to ensure your voice is heard beyond your NICU? We all have goals for our patients. Why not have a goal that is beyond yourself and influence outcomes for our infants and families? Visit NAN's website and view NAN's efforts to raise awareness of key regulations and issues that affect NAN and the populations we serve. NAN also impacts nursing practice regulation and policy by fostering member engagement and collaboration with other healthcare-related groups to shape legislative and regulatory issues at the federal and state levels. I hope you all feel empowered by Jennifer to be a catalyst for change. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks for your support and letting us into your ears. Have a great day.